Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. So, for me, this is a long conversation. We've been having it for a while. Um, Let's reiterate some of the things we already said. So, the basic assumption of training is that we are trying to improve. We're trying to cultivate and achieve a better version of ourselves. There are certain equations that have to be solved and met, certain values have to be met, regardless of how personalized training can become. Meaning, all of us will have to solve these equations and achieve these values. For example, one of them is, you only get out what you put in. Okay. Your, your degree of return is proportionate to your degree of investment. And it doesn't matter who you are, that equation is there for everyone to solve. But the nature of your investment is going to be different from person to person. For example, a naturally, no, let's not use that word because it is very false, A person who has built up a history of athletic performance and capacity, their investment might feel to them quite small in terms of their physical fitness. And so, in all likelihood, it is quite small. And their investment to reach the deeper levels of the art will probably come in the form of practicing humility and practicing compassion and acceptance. So it's one of the things like when I teach the kids in the Explorers program, they don't all do the same things well. And it's very common for one of them to look at another one, let's say one who can do push-ups, like it's no problem, and to feel quite inferior. But they make the assumption that the Explorer program, or law enforcement in general, is solely about doing push-ups, when it's not. Uh, recently, one of the explorers made that known to me that they were struggling with that. And I, from my point of view, as the mentor of the program, I could see that they had this incorrect assumption of what all goes into being a good explorer and or being a good law enforcement officer. 
And while upper body strength is very important, it is not the totality of either of those things. And moreover, comparatively, it's not a difficult thing to achieve. We just have to work out and we will get stronger. This explorer, on the other hand, though, was quite good at interpersonal communication. And you use interpersonal communication in the Explorer program and in law enforcement in general way more than you use upper body strength. You might want to say that, well, while that might be true, when it hits the fan, I really want that upper body strength because that's going to save me more than my interpersonal communication. And of course, that is exactly how a non-law enforcement person would think. Because there is a tactical component to interpersonal communication that allows you to do things way better with that upper body strength than if you didn't have that skill of interpersonal communication. You would not be able to do, almost regardless of how strong you are. So I had to convince this explorer that she was looking at it all wrong and she was looking at herself all wrong and point out that in my mind, she actually had the harder stuff down. As a mentor, trying to get explorers to become better versions of themselves, I am very often at a loss on how I can get these kids to be better communicators because our communication skill is so wrapped up in our personal history, in, in the shadows and the fog of our personal history. Whereas how do I build muscle mass? That's an easy thing. I know how to do that. Many people know how to do that. But how do you wipe away the various levels of trauma that I am not partial to and they may not be partial to that go into all of the forms of self-doubt and hesitancy and uncomfortability that leads to them being unable to communicate in a personable way? How do I fix all that? I, I can't. It's very difficult to impossible. So in my mind, she was ahead of the game. Okay. So the equation is there, and investment and return is still there, but it is always personalized. And the beauty of the art is that no matter what you're good at, Budo is going to find what you suck at and it's going to ask you to fix that. And so really, in the end, the way the universe works is that everyone will have their own individual struggles, and they will equally be challenging to the point where you will falter and quit. And so you can't look at somebody who's strong and uh, be envious 
because you might be struggling with strength. They'll be struggling with things as equally difficult. For example, a weak person, while, while I'm sitting here and saying it's quite easy to teach someone to get stronger, yes, that's true, but it is not easy for the person themselves to move from weakness to strength. A whole lot of life course changes have to take place. That will involve time management. It will involve sacrifice. And all of those sacrifices will feel huge. And they will all be resisted. The homeostatic energy to remain the same will make them resisted to the point where you will now start flirting with, I don't think this is for me, I should quit. Well, in the same way, the person who might be physically strong has a very hard time accepting people, has a very hard time with compassion, has a very hard time not getting frustrated by people. And while a weaker person might wish they were stronger, that stronger person will equally wish for this other kind of inner strength that they lack. That's what I mean when it's personalized. But these universal equations, they run the gambit. So I then had you do this form, this sword form here. And we had you do four reps, and we ob observed you. And I asked your classmate here to observe with me. Before I say what I saw, and I asked your classmate what she saw, I would like you to tell me what you were thinking I was looking for. I thought um, you were looking for um, me maybe pushing myself in terms of speed and um, the, the strength with which I was trying to do the cuts and... Okay, and this is what I thought I saw in your body as you were moving. So I did not, I asked you to do four reps, and I do not think you were doing you four reps. You were doing my expectation of you four reps. So I do not think we saw an accurate representation of how you normally train, okay? Do you, would you agree with that? Yes, Okay. But even in your attempt to address what you thought I was looking for, I could still see what was there. And I wonder if your classmate could see. What did you see, if anything? Um, it, looked like there was a, it looked like there was a lack of charge uh, in her body uh, and in her extension. Okay, and let's go into that. And, and it is like that. It, 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 we are looking at a painting of sorts, right, as an art, and we are now trying to describe it. So the, the word charge is used metaphorically, symbolically. So let's make sure we all understand what that might mean. And so what do you mean by charge? and paused between each step, um, where, 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 
as when I'm watching you, one thing moves into the other and it never seems like the intensity um, decreases, even when you're still. Uh, even when you're putting, you know, even in Noto, when you're putting the sword back in, or when your cut is complete, there's still a charge where it seems like there is an energy that is emanating and expanding. Okay, so let's, I'm going to pull out some words that you just said. So charge, intensity, present whether moving or still, expanding, as it had an outward orientation to it. And that's what we don't see in your form. Um, when I had you do the reps, what I was trying to describe to you before that was that there's this holding back in you. There's a, a, a kind of calculating where you know the limit and the limit of your performance and where you then fall safely within or below that limit. Because remember, your original question was on, I am not sure where to put my legs in terms of width and depth of my stance for manifesting ground path and thus power from the ground. And I ended up answering you by saying, part of the issue is that you train very cautiously, well within the limits. So I see a parallel between what your classmate just described and what I was getting at with within your limits. What I'm trying to point out specifically is that in your training cautiously, there's very little room for failure. And without the failure, I don't truly understand not only where things break down, but by extension, where things need to be to prevent things breaking down. And I think if you would put a little more effort into, for example, let's just do the sword cut. So in the four reps that you did, even with the intention to try to address that idea you had about my observation, I could see you about to swing the sword. You start out more energetically than you usually do, but you put the brakes on about, I don't know, two-thirds into the cut. You start pulling your intention out. And I think that's the charge that's missing that your classmate is pointing to. And I think you pull out of that technique because rather than challenge your base or your footwork or your ground path with the inertia and the momentum and the gravitational pull and the centrifugal energy of the cut, you, you break on the cut and now your stance is not challenged. Do you see? And you don't feel where you need to be. 
or why, which is more important. And if you look back at how we often are addressing your training, your improvement, it's usually via examples where I now push on you. Do you see? So you, you'll be training with your ukes, and of course I have to work with them too to stop the choreography and on all their fear crap that gets in the way. But at a certain point after I constantly am telling the ukes in general, stop doing things, just do the damn technique, stop throwing yourself, stop doing choreography. I'm trying to get them in their sincerity to reveal to you that you're not in the right place. Do you see that? And then when they fail at that task, then I come over very easily and just apply pressure and your ground path or your structure or your posture just totally collapses. Do you see? So on the one hand, it is not exposed in the controlled and artificial and uncharged environment of a bad uke. And you will, even in solo training, train so that it's not revealed. And even if I have a bad uke, when it comes time to propel their mass across space, that'll generate a force requirement. And that force requirement will reveal what is lacking or not lacking in such things as your posture or your base. But you won't, you won't throw them hard enough to reveal that. And so it comes off in my descriptions to you as, looks like you're not trying. Do, do you get it? That's why we shared the video of the female world worlds where the athletes, where you can see they are grunting and gutting and suffering as they maintain form. And that's entirely different from the illusion, if not the outright delusion of maintaining form from within a comfort zone. Do you see? There, there's, there are two different things. And for any of us to go from where we are now to a better version of ourselves, we can't do your style of training. We can't not push so that we stay with the supposed organization or posture or balance. We have to push those limits. They might seem the same. I'm trying to hold my posture, but I'm pushing myself in doing so versus I'm trying to hold my posture and I won't push myself so I don't lose my posture. Do you see that? And I'll... The end result in terms of posture kind of looks the same, but there's one key ingredient that tells you they're not the same, and it is failure. In the athletic 
model, which every athlete uses, where they will try to hold their form as they push beyond its limitations. They will also produce failures. And there's like no failure. If you're left to your own, you won't fail. You, you, you will you'll back off before you risk the failure. Do you see that? It's a different way of thinking. Athletes that compete at very high levels, this just becomes second nature. I'm going to hold the form. I know if I push past this point, I will probably lose this form. But they, in that moment, in that microcosm of pushing past their current borders of form, they expand the borders of form. Do you get it? And in the, what I would say is the non-athletic way of training, which is a very academic or intellectual way of training, when I just will hold the form, I won't push myself if it means I cannot hold the form 100% surely, that will not make us improve. We're playing it too safe, okay? You've done enough body conditionings in this dojo where you are quite strong, you are quite fit, but the history, which is not uncommon, especially nowadays, not uncommon in Aikido and not uncommon nowadays in martial arts in general, that a lot of the population does not have this history, this decades of high-level athletic competition. And so you come in, I don't have that history, and this concept now has to become part of your Budo training, the cultivation of this mindset, that I will push upon my form to failure. Okay? That's where we're at now. So I watched your training the entire hour of this Yaido class, and you just hold back. You hold back on these sword cuts. Like I said, about two-thirds into the cut, you start pulling the brakes, you know? And here's the thing. These modern Yaito right, a sword for Yaido training, Yaito. They are designed, you, you, I don't know if you know this, but they are designed to make noise. So I used to work for an export well-known company in Japan, and the inside scoop is they the designers know what angles to make that blood groove, whether to add one or two of them, so that you get this whistling noise as you swing. Do you, do you understand? Because that helps, kind of foolishly, the Iaido practitioner feel that this is a good sword, okay? Because they get satisfaction from that. This is, this is very common today in all forms of combat training because 
it's very popular today to enter in the, to warrior traditions or to utilize the discourse of warrior traditions. And you all will always have a group of masses that do not understand what they're doing. And those masses have lots of money, and there's going to be other people that want to capitalize upon their ignorance to take their money. Even in firearms. So I am confident that we do not see at the moment the best handguns that can be made. That's not what's on the market. What's on the market is designs that the manufacturers can generate the most profit from. And what else is on the market is our triggers that satisfy the in-the-gun shop shopper. Okay, so in the gun shop, he, he or she is never going to uh, test recoil, um, is never going to see what the handgun does, you know, when you do a whole mag dump as fast as you can on the target. Well, what they do is they dry fire the trigger. And my opinion is that the manufacturers are making that trigger in such a way that the dry firer inside a gun shop feels like he or she is buying a high-quality weapon. And a lot of the stuff that goes into satisfying that need in that moment has nothing to do whether this firearm will actually function, even shoot fast or shoot accurately in real life. Well, these blood grooves and these swords are like that. They're designed, you pick up the sword, you take it out, and what are you going to do? You're going to swing it, you're going to go, I'm going to see if it's balanced, right? And you're going to swing it through the air, and it's going to go whoosh, and you're going to go, yeah, it is balanced. Do you, do you get it? Okay, well, here you are. You're swinging a sword that some manufacturer has knows that's how we shop for these things, and it is designed to whistle through the air, but your sword won't make any noise. Do you see that? It's like, a, let's take a whistle. Let's just take a whistle. It's designed to make a whistling noise as long as I blow into it. But if I blow too softly, I won't get any noise at all. Do you see that? That's, that's what's happening with your sword cuts. There's no charge. There's no intensity. There's no expansion. You're holding back. Like someone who doesn't want to blow on a whistle because they don't want to make noise with the whistle. And you're moving a sword that'll make noise Literally, if you flick your wrist, these Iaito will whistle for you through the air. Do you get it? So I think your classmate is right on the money. And I think the design of the sword and the absence of the noise is also telling. And I think even when asked to do reps, your mind goes to, let me see what my teacher wants, and my teacher wants me to have some intensity, have some charge. That, 
that's telling you that's not your normal way of training. Do you see? And I, my advice to you as you enter into this process of improvement, of finding each day, each moment, the better you, that you adopt this athletic model of pushing yourself past the boundaries of yourself, okay? The dojo is an environment where you can do that, where you're supposed to do it, but where you can do it safely. So, for example, if you're trying kokyuho and, and, you know, all the leg strength, you have fantastic leg strength right now. I was watching you do the squatting exercise the other day. You have fantastic leg strength, but you won't push it into your ground path needs in your nagewaza. But if you did, if you're trying to do, let's say, kokyuho, and you end up stumbling, what is going to happen? Is the world going to fall apart? No. Is the sky going to fall? No. Are you going to lose rank? No. I mean, from the superficial, such as rank, to the profound, the sky crashed and the life ended as we know it. None of it is going to happen, so why not risk it? Do you see? That is what we do here. We risk for the sake of self-improvement, self-transformation. We make failure a part of the process. I think, though, when you look past that, you're going to find some underlying fears that you've left off the table. And like the strong person who is doubly challenged by compassion and acceptance of others, there's a deeper obstacle in allowing yourself to fail. Do you see? And like I said, the, the nature of the universe, of Buddha, of God, is to play these kind of fucked up tricks on us. Because we thought holding the form is hard enough. And that should be all I have to work on. But no... The cosmos or the divine goes, hey, hey, fucker, I see past your shit. You're, you're just playing with the idea that form is difficult because deep down what you're really hiding is your need to not fail. And that behind that, is the real shit. That needs to be worked on. So when I watch you slow the sword down, you might tell yourself it's because I'm not, 
I don't have a history of sports. Or you might tell yourself, it's because I'm not naturally aggressive. But it's not that. It's this relationship between myself, success, and failure. And when you go into there, you're going to see that it's one of the three poisons, right? Fear, pride, or ignorance, which is really one poison. And there's where your work is. And the best and the safest way to work on that poison is right here in Iaido. All you got to do is swing the damn sword. Make that whistle whistle. It really can't get much easier while I understand how difficult it is. It can't get easier or safer than that to make a whistle whistle. And then to see what happens. And what you find, as it is with every time we purify the three poisons, we're fine. It's just fine. The fear of purification and the avoidance of purification is part of the poison. It's not real. So I would like to see your training. Let's show up next Iaido class and let's make that damn sword whistle like it's meant to do, okay? No more quiet sword. No more baby whistles, okay? Have you ever seen when a baby, you give a baby a whistle or when you have a baby and you tell them to blow their nose and they can't, they don't know what you mean. They're like, and you give them a whistle and they can't figure it out. That's how you're moving the sword. Let's forget that. You have the strength. I've seen it. You demonstrate it in body conditioning all the time. You're going to swing that damn sword so it whistles. And you will probably fall forward. Okay? You might fall side to side. And we're not going to give a shit. We're going to get another rep. Just like in the beginner kids class. Right? We don't care if you make it or not. What counts is did you do the next rep? So you're going to swing that sword. You're going to make that whistle whistle. It'll probably pull you forward. It'll probably knock you side to side. Hey, guess what? You're going to do it again. And you're going to do it again. Let's try to start there. If you can, take it into your body art class. Start using some of this physical conditioning you've built up. Start chucking people. Take, take advantage of your placement in the dojo, as I said the other night. There is enough ukes in here that can take your full power plenty fine. So get it, get it done. Get it going. You might trip. You might fall. But you will now learn where your foot is needs to be, where your weight needs to be, where the ground path truly is, and why. And underneath 
And even on top of all that, you will have a new relationship with both failure and success. And that is where the real training is happening. That is where everything comes to a head. Where everything is real. Where everything there is sacred and profound. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.